Welcome to Navigating Cancer Together. My name is Talaya Dindi. I'm a cancer thriver, cancer doula, independent patient advocate, and owner of On the Other Side. I use my experience to help others get on the other side of cancer. Gaps between the guidance, emotional support, and education that are needed and what one receives can be huge. This podcast fills those gaps by sharing stories, resources, and information about all things related to cancer and wellness. I interview guests from all walks of life who are living with cancer, caregivers, and those who are thriving on the other side. Also, I talk with organizations, healthcare professionals, and experts in the health and wellness spaces who offer complementary and integrative care. Join me. We are in this together. Hello, everyone. This is Talaya Dindi from OnTheOtherSide.life, and you're listening to the Navigating Cancer Together podcast, the show that has something for everyone facing cancer. Why? Because everyone is different with different needs, beliefs, and perspectives. Thank you for joining us for this episode. I encourage you to open your minds and your hearts. Today, our very special guest is Mr. David McBee. David is a highly accomplished keynote speaker, digital marketing expert, and sought-after marketing consultant. As an industry veteran, he provides updates and comprehensive training on programmatic advertising, targeted ads, and connected TV through his podcast, Simplify.fi.tv, and in-person presentations. David has helped numerous business owners with SEO, paid search, social media, and web design. Besides his professional achievements, he is also the author of the self-improvement book, Everyday Lessons Every Day, as well as the popular children's book series, DJ's Off-Road Adventures. David enjoys reading, healthy living, the outdoors, and traveling with his family. David, thank you so much for joining us today and welcome. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you allowing me to be on the show and share my story. My pleasure. How are you feeling today, David? I feel terrific. Thank you for asking. Wonderful. I'm so happy that you're able to be here with me today. One of the things that I want to start off with, David, is please share with us a little bit about your cancer journey. You were diagnosed with neuroendocrine cancer, which is a very rare cancer. Please tell us what kind of cancer that is and some of the symptoms that you experienced. Neuroendocrine tumor cancer, also known as NET, we can call it that for the rest of the show, is rare, but maybe not as rare as I thought. When I first got diagnosed with it, I didn't think much of it. The colonoscopy is how they discovered it. There was a small nodule in my large colon and they were like, ah, this is no big deal. It's just a nodule. We'll just cut it out. And I thought, oh, okay, no big deal. But then I did a little more research And I discovered that an elementary school principal in my very own neighborhood had just passed away from it. He had battled it for about three years. And so that made it seem very real all of a sudden. It's also the same cancer that took Steve Jobs and Aretha Franklin. And it's often mistaken for other kinds of cancers. If you were to Google, how did Steve Jobs die? You'll probably see all sorts of articles about liver cancer. Neuroendocrine cancer actually can show up in any of your endocrine systems anywhere in your body. And that could be your lungs or your brain or your throat or your pancreas or your colon or your lymph nodes. So it can actually be anywhere. So neuroendocrine tumor cancer is 
treated like a lot of other cancers where they basically try to cut it out, but it's an ongoing disease. In fact, my doctor said, we got it all, but it'll be back. Not like it might be back. He was sure it would be back. And I hated hearing that. I had about a dozen tumors or so. They had spread from my colon all the way up into my liver. And that was the scary part because all the research said that if you just have them in your colon, you have a 97% survival rate. And when they spread to other parts of your body, that survival rate goes down significantly. They went in, they did a massive surgery, something like 37 staples. I got a 12 or 15 inch scar from my chest to my abdomen. And they took parts of my small and large bowels. They took all of my gallbladder and they took 25% of my liver. Some of the tumors were so deep in my liver, they had to stick a needle in and just electrocute them. It's called ablation. And so they got them all, but about a month later, then I got a giant plum sized infection inside my liver and they had to drain that. I walked around with the ugliest Capri Sun bag for mm -hmm. about two weeks. About three months later, I was just going back to my normal life and the MRI came back and there were new tumors in my liver. And I've been living with those tumors for the last several months. Luckily, they're stable. They're not growing. They're not spreading. So I'm very grateful for that. If you're going to have a cancer story, that's not a half bad one. So I'm very grateful. Well, thank you so much, David, for sharing that. I'm so happy that you're doing much better today. If you don't mind, please share with us the recovery time for your major surgeries. That's pretty huge. Originally, they said it would probably be six weeks. And even after about three weeks, I was up and around, moving around, feeling like myself, not feeling a lot of pain. I think it's because I'm young. I'm 52 now, but I was 51 <laughs> when all that happened. But then I got the infection and that exacerbated things. The infection, believe it or not, was actually way more painful than the original cancer. I never actually mm -hmm. felt the tumors. I never actually had any symptoms of the cancer at all. It's a very quiet, silent, stealthy kind of cancer. It does create something called carcinoid syndrome, which is basically loose stool all the time. And now I have that, but I didn't before the surgeries. The recovery took about 10 weeks, honestly, before I started really feeling like myself. And then several months later, before I was able to run on the treadmill or do some of the things I was able to do before. When you got an initial diagnosis, how did that impact your mindset and your emotional health, all of those things? How did you work through that? I think if you consider the initial diagnosis, the day that I had my colonoscopy, it was played down so significantly that I just didn't even realize that I had cancer, honestly. They said, well, we took a biopsy. You don't have colon cancer, no question about it. There's just this little nodule. And then this is one of the worst parts of my story. The doctor tried to call me a week later and I was in a meeting. I couldn't take his call. He actually left me a voicemail saying that I had cancer and that I needed to see an oncologist right away. Wow. That hit me like, that was a very scary voicemail to get. To this day, I don't understand why he didn't just try to call me again later in the day. So that really scared me. I thought, okay, I can beat this. I know lots of cancer survivors. I'm going to be fine. And then when they discovered that had spread to my liver, then the prognosis came back and it was incredibly scary. I remember sitting in the doctor's office with my wife and they said, you have this many years left. And I was so mad. I was so mad to lay because 
they said it like it was a good thing because so many cancer patients have less than six months or less than a year. I had more than a year, but it was still a lot less than I wanted. So that was a terrible day. Thank you for sharing that, David. You have children. How did you and your wife share this news with your kids? You know, my children are older. My daughter was 17 at the time. My son was 22. And we have always been incredibly good communicators with our kids. We've never held anything back. My wife and I actually, we don't argue very often, but when we don't run to our rooms and hide that argument, we have it right out in the open because I want my children to see that even people who love each other can have a disagreement and then resolve that disagreement. We didn't hide anything from them. We told them flat out. My son, who is He's such a big heart. He's an empath, right? Oh, yeah. It it hit him pretty hard. (laughs) My daughter is Miss Positive Mental Attitude. And to this day, I'm not sure it has bothered her very much. She's just, you're going to beat it, dad. This is just going to be part of your story. I'm not even worried about you. And that was really actually pretty nice for me. I, I enjoyed her positive attitude and her faith that I would get through it. That's beautiful. I love that. And having people around like that, it makes a world of difference, especially in those days where you're struggling yourself. And just to hear someone say that, it fills you up and you're like, okay, I can do this. I can do this because someone else has faith in you that you can do it. So it makes a world of difference. David, in a previous conversation, you shared with me that prior to cancer, you had anger issues and OCD. Do you believe your anger issues manifested into cancer? And if so, why do you believe that? I think it's controversial to say yes, because I don't think people want to believe that stress or anger or emotions can do something as powerful as take their lives. But I have been reading for the last year everything I can get my hands on about health and longevity and cancer. Of course, I'm sure no different than a lot of your guests. And even though neuroendocrine tumor is recognized as a gene malfunction, it's also very possible that the gene malfunction happened because of stress. And as you mentioned in my introduction, I wrote a book several years ago called Everyday Lessons Every Day. And the theme behind the book was that I was dealing with these anger issues. I was frustrated all the time. I was taking it out on my kids. I was taking it out on my wife. Everyone was walking on eggshells around me. Every little thing just triggered me. An example might be I would be driving in the left lane and someone was not going fast enough and I have to pass them on the right. I was that guy that hit the gas, <laughs> gave them a dirty look as I was going by and then zoomed back in front of them. I never went so far as to flip them off, but they knew that I was angry. So that's just one example of how I wore my emotions on my sleeve. But I also had been raised to believe that a positive mental attitude was the most important tool that a person could have. So oftentimes when I was very stressed about something or angry about something, I would just swallow it and I would put on a happy face. People who have read my book have constantly said to me, I can't believe this is you that you're describing because the me that I presented to the world was so positive. But in reality, I was just swallowing it up. And I do believe that in my case, and I'm not going to speak for other cancer patients, but in my case, I do believe that those actions manifested as cancer. And as evidence of that, 
I think the fact that I am at peace now, that I welcome negative emotions, I experience them and let them pass through my body and that my cancer is stable. I think that is anecdotal evidence that having a peaceful outlook and not sweating the small stuff maybe has changed how my body deals with the stress. I'm in agreement with you. And I've read a lot of studies and talked to different people. And I do believe that can manifest into cancer and other illnesses and diseases. I really do. The unfortunate thing is that a lot of us are not taught how to work through our emotions. And we are taught that anger is a really bad thing, but it's an emotion. And we have to learn how to work through that and manage it. And it's okay to be angry sometimes. (laughs) It's natural. And I think that when we do try to hold those things in and always pretend to be positive, like nothing's bothering us, that can make us sick eventually, because we're not working through that. We're holding on to that energy that we need to learn how to work through and release. Thank you so much for sharing that. You bet. I think that's one of the most important messages that I want people to understand is that stress can make them sick. And Mm -hmm. there's just no reason to experience that stress. In the past, when I had stress or anger, I would try to get past it. But you know what? It's so much easier today because if somebody's driving in the left lane and I want to pass them and it starts to make me angry, you know what I say? At least it's not cancer. That's right. Something bad happens. I lose a job or a gig or whatever. At least it's not cancer. I think if the whole world could adopt that mentality when something bad happens, if they would just say, at least it's not cancer. And honestly, The problem with that is when they get cancer and they can't say, at least it's not cancer, they go, oh (laughs) crap, this is cancer. But how many cancer survivors have you talked to that are grateful for their cancer? That's a hard thing to imagine when you are first diagnosed. But the reality is that if I could go back in time, except for the pain that has caused my friends and family, except for that, I wouldn't change a thing. I'm with you. I totally understand what you're saying. And you're right. If you haven't had that experience, it's hard to imagine even saying that or hearing someone say that. But it really opens your eyes to what's important and to different ways that maybe you were contributing to some of the things that were harming you. For example, staying in stressful situations, staying in stressful jobs and relationships, and maybe not eating the best, whatever the case may be, it really shines a light on those things that you can change and that you probably should change. It really changed my life for the better. It gave me hope. It gave me the ability to just step out on faith and do a lot of the things that I was afraid to do before. So I totally get where you're coming from. I hope that your listeners who don't have cancer can try to grapple with that concept and learn the lessons that we've learned without having to go through what we went through. I agree so much. I I really do. It's just, I think a lot of it has to do with our society and the messages that we constantly hear. You have to do this way and you have to always be busy. You have to always meet these certain expectations and it's just not true. You have to do what makes you happy. Of course, be a responsible adult, but you do have some say in what your life looks like. 100%. David, what has been the hardest part of having cancer for you? First of all, let me say this. I'm not afraid of dying. I'm just not. 
I believe that what we call death is simply a transition into a new reality. And I look forward to that one day. But for me, the idea of leaving my family, man, that breaks my heart. That is the scariest thing about it. My kids are grown, luckily, and I think it would be even harder if they were young, but I don't want to miss them falling in love and having children and meeting their children. And I don't want to leave my wife. I promised her I would never leave her and I don't want to leave her. So when I think about cancer taking me, that is the part that scares me the most. And I think that a second answer to that is the fear that it will spread and get worse or that it will come back for those who are in remission, right? Mm -hmm. I actually refer to that as the monster in the closet. It's like having a monster in your closet and you know it's there. You've locked the door and you can hear it knock every once in a while, but you just want it to stay in there, but you're afraid that someday it's going to get out and it's going to win. And that I think is the hardest thing to live with. Not a single day goes by, no matter how positive I am, not a single day goes by that I don't think about that monster in the closet. That's understandable, David, because unfortunately for the type of cancer you have, it literally is something you have to live with. And I can relate to a certain extent. I think about that monster in the closet when it's time to get scans and go see my oncologist, my annual visit, and they do all the blood work. That's when the monster really starts to knock on the door for me. I can only imagine how that is for you. Because during those times, a couple of times a year, I don't care how long it's been. There's just this overwhelming sense of, okay, this thing is still lurking somewhere. It can still get me. (laughs) You know what I mean? So I totally understand. And I love that analogy, the monster in the closet, because that is exactly what it feels like. It feels like it goes to sleep sometimes, and then you can go on and not think about it, worry about it. And then it just makes moves around a little bit. And you're like, oh no, it's still there. I learned a word for that. They call it scanxiety. Anxiety, yes. <laughs> and it's real. It is definitely real. Totally. David, many of us at times have struggled with asking for help. And that is particularly an issue I found for men, being able to ask for help. Have you struggled with that? And if you have, how have you worked through it? And what advice do you have for others? Honestly, for me, not so much. I've always been the kind of guy who cries in movies and wears his emotions on his sleeve and tells people I love them. And I'm not afraid to ask for help. Absolutely not. There are times when I want to be independent and someone's treating me like I'm weak or feeble and that kind of irritates me, but mostly I'm okay with it. And when people came and mowed my lawn for weeks and weeks, and I didn't feel bad about that, I just felt grateful. And I've also learned that if someone wants to give you help, that's a gift that they're giving. And for you to deny that gift, you also deny them the joy that they would receive by giving that gift. I'm not a guy who's afraid to ask for help. But I will say this, I want to give a shout out to another podcast and a Facebook group that I recently discovered, which is called Man Up to Cancer. And it is a men's group. It's all cancer survivors, cancer caregivers, cancer patients, It's a tribe and it's men Mm -hmm. speaking to men the way that men talk. And I have quickly become a big fan of the Man Up to Cancer podcast and Facebook group. So if there's men out there listening, this is a shout out for them. Great. Thank you for sharing. That's so important to be able to have another resource, especially for men. 
David, having a why is so critical to helping us stay motivated during the tough times. What is your why or your reason for living? I think I spoke to it already. It's wanting to be a part of my kids' lives and I want to grow old with my wife. She and I just celebrated our 25-year wedding anniversary and we renewed our vows on the beach in a ceremony. It was great. And at the campfire reception afterwards, I sang Grow Old With You. (laughs) I don't know if you know that song. It's Adam Sandler from from The Wedding Singer. It's a cheesy, (laughs) silly song, but it's like my whole goal in life is just to grow old with her. And part of my healing process is visualization. I always visualize the future. And one of my favorite things to visualize is her with all her gray hair and wrinkles and me and my no hair, which is right now and in the future, right? And my old wrinkly hand holding hers. And so that's really what I'm living for is that family time. But I also, I want to get to every single major league baseball park. I want to get to every single state. I only have one left. Really? Um, Okay. So there are some bucket list things that I want to accomplish. I want to see the Northern Lights. I want to do the things that people tend to put off until they retire. And now that I, I don't want to say this out loud, but I don't know if I'm going to get to retire one day, right? Like I Mm -hmm. don't know how much time I have left and neither does anyone, even if they're healthy. So I tell people, do the things you want to do now. I don't really have the money to do the things that I want to do now, but I'm finding it. I'm forcing it because I don't know how many tomorrows I'm going to have. I love that outlook. You're right. None of us really know And if you can find a way to make your dreams and your goals come true while you have the time, then that's a great thing to do. Yeah. What have you learned besides what you've shared so far? What else have you learned this past year from cancer? There's light in the darkness. No matter how terrible things got, there's always light. There's always something positive coming out of it. I tell people that cancer is the greatest teacher that I have ever had. I see you shaking your head. Mm -hmm. It it is a teacher. And this year specifically, and it's been almost exactly a year since my surgery. It was September 8th of last year. I have learned so much about myself. I've learned how to live a happier, healthier, more peaceful life. I've learned the power of gratitude. Let me show you my shirt. It says, "Gratitude gratitude is my superpower. Nice. That's right. It is. I even got a gratitude tattoo to to celebrate my, that is the right word to celebrate this journey that I'm on because for me, everything is about gratitude and it has become my guiding principle. No matter how hard my day is, I haven't even have an alarm on my iPhone that says, what were you grateful for today? I asked my kids, I asked my wife, what were we grateful for today? I believe that even in the darkness, even if I'm wrong and this cancer takes me six weeks from now, I will have lived a grateful year. That is a wonderful thing. I'm not angry at my cancer. I'm not fighting my cancer. I don't love all the battle metaphors. You know, some people like those. I just choose gratitude and peace over a fighting mentality. That was one thing I really don't care for, to be honest, but everyone's different. They have different perspectives on things. But yeah, for me, when I was first diagnosed and I was learning more about cancer, it just didn't sit well with me to say fight and battle and all those things. It just didn't seem helpful (laughs) and it didn't seem in alignment with the mindset that I 
wanted to have and that I had at that time. I looked at it like this is something that I have to learn how to work through and in the meantime, learn how to live with. And it's not me, but it is a part of me at this time. So that's how I chose to look at it. Can you share with us how cancer has impacted your relationships? You've talked a lot about your family. How did it impact your other relationships? They're all better. Every one of them. The relationships with my wife and kids were great anyway, but they're better now. The relationship with my sister, whose daughter is a cancer survivor, it grew stronger. My mother, just every relationship is better. I want to point out one example. During the most divisive election our country has ever seen, I lost a best friend. Some stupid Facebook post, we disagreed with each other, and we actually stopped talking to each other for over a year. And... When I got my diagnosis, I just hopped in my Jeep. I drove over to his house and I said, get in. And we drove to the lake and we just said, this has been stupid. I love you. You love me. Let's just let this pass. There's so much more important things like our friendship. And we continue to disagree politically. We don't talk about it much, but I love him. And I feel like he loves me. He'd do anything for me, even though we are so different. And... I don't know if I'd have him back in my life if it weren't for cancer. It's so dumb. I would also like to say this before I was diagnosed with cancer and I would hear about friends getting cancer. I didn't know how to give them what they needed. Do I give them their space? Do I call them? Do they want to be reminded that they have cancer? Do I ask them how they're doing? For me, when a friend texts me out of the blue, or sends me what we call a selfie check-in. They Mm -hmm. send me a selfie and I send them a selfie. That just tells me that they're thinking about me. And Mm -hmm. we don't have to talk about the cancer. I've rekindled so many friendships because of that. Like they just came out of nowhere. That's another blessing, really, Mm -hmm. that cancer has made my relationships better. That is a blessing. And that's another thing about cancer. It definitely shows you who and what is important in your life. It really does. We talked about getting cancer again and recurrence. What advice, David, do you have for people who are really worried about they may get sick from cancer again someday and may return? My answer to that is to take care of yourself now. I don't care if you're 15 and you're at the pool, put sunblock on. I don't care if you're in your 20s and you think you're invincible and you can eat fast food every day. Your chances of getting cancer, because we live On earth, there are toxins everywhere. And I'm not just talking about smoking and drinking and eating fast food. We are bombarded with toxins in our laundry detergent, our cleaning supplies, the food that calls itself healthy. It's everywhere. I can't be sure, but I believe I heard a stat recently that says one in four of us will get cancer at some point in our lives. That is not rare. That is common there's a very good chance you're going to get cancer someday. So my advice to people is to fortify their bodies now, to take care of yourself, to eat right and exercise. And it's so cliche, but who knows? And deal with stress properly. Learn to meditate, learn to sit quietly, learn to pray if that's important to you. Learn to listen to the birds and the wind and the ocean waves and just find peaceful moment. But if people were to act as if they have cancer and they're trying to keep it from reoccurring, which is how I have acted over the last year, 
I read every day. I walk every day. I meditate. I eat way healthier than I ever have in my life. I pray. If people were to live like that every day of their lives, they would either not get cancer or put it off way into later in their years. And it's a hard thing for a young person to hear. It's a hard thing for a healthy person to hear, but chances are you might get cancer someday. And if you start preparing for it now, your chances of beating it, surviving it and overcoming it will be greatly increased. Well said. I really agree with that. It's be proactive, not reactive. And there's so much information out there. If you're not sure how to eat healthy, where to start, there's so many different resources that you can find online, so many different groups, different coaches that can really support you along the way and help get you going on the right track because you have to make that time for yourself. Take the time now because you might be preventing something later. There's one more habit that I've gotten into since my diagnosis that I'd like to share with everyone. And that is something a lot of us do anyway, and that's listen to music. But because music uh, can really move a person, like it can really create emotions in you. I think it's important that you listen to music that inspires you. I'm a big fan of K-Love. But I also have what I call my About Hope playlist. And it is just all songs about hoping and overcoming and winning and living and surviving and loving. At this point, I have 72 songs in the playlist. And I listen to at least one or two of those songs every single day. I'd like to make a special shout out to my friend Drew Six, who wrote a song called Dreams Do. And he wrote it for children with cancer. I believe that was it, or it might be all sick children, but it's all about how dreams can help you overcome. It became my theme song. It gives me goosebumps every time I listen to it. I really believe it has helped propel me to a healthier life. I will make sure to put that in the listen notes. So everyone listening today, when you're done listening to this episode, if you have not done so already, go ahead and create your hope list, your music list, and listen to a couple songs every day and take the time to put that beautiful resource together for yourself. That is a way to really fill yourself up with hope every day in an easy way and doing something you enjoy listening to music. If anybody wants mine, it's on my YouTube channel. There's just a playlist there called About Hope, and you can check it out. Tell us where your YouTube channel is. Where can they find it? It's pretty easy. It's youtube.com forward slash David McBee. Thank you, David. Before we wrap up, I would like for the audience to know more about your books. The first one, as I mentioned earlier, Everyday Lessons Every Day, and your children's book series, DJ's Off-Road Adventures. Tell us what both of those books are about and what inspired you to write them. I set the premise for Everyday Lessons Every Day. I was a terrible person. I was being awful. I was having all these anger issues. And because I had grown up on self-improvement books, I recognized this about myself. I really thought I was on the verge of my wife leaving. I Now I don't think she would ever leave me, even as big a jerk as I was being at the time. But I thought I'm losing my family. So my goal was to read from a positive self-improvement book every single day, which I did for approximately eight months. And the story is the lessons that I learned from those books and how my life completely transformed while I was embracing that 
positivity. And so that's what Every Lessons Every Day is all about. DJ's Off-Road Adventures is a children's book story that I had no intention of writing. One of my passions is taking my Jeep off-road. I was invited to go out to Moab, Utah, which is like the Jeep playground of the world with some more experienced off-roaders. And they took me up the side of this mountain. It was an obstacle, but it was, imagine a Hot Wheel toy driving up the back of a dinosaur. That's what Mm -hmm. it was like. It was like a 70 foot drop on the left, 70 foot drop on the right. And I'm on top of the back of the dinosaur doing this. And I had a freak out. (laughs) Even as I describe it, I get the Uh tremors, right? And so I put the car in park. I had a panic attack. And I thought I was done. I was like, I drove 15 hours and I'm just going to turn around. And I'm going to go home. But the guy in the Jeep in front of me got out and walked back to me. The guy in the Jeep behind me got out and walked up to me and they stood right there by my driver's side door and they talked me through it and helped me overcome this obstacle. And for the rest of the week, they challenged my fears. They took me on high cliff roads and like, I was so scared, but it was the greatest time I had ever had. So when I got home, I was telling people that story and they're like, oh, that sounds a little bit like the uh, the little engine that could. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to turn this into a children's book. So I created a story about DJ. He's a little blue truck and he goes out to Moab with some new friends. He has a panic attack and they help him. And that was the beginning of my children's book series. Every time we went off-roading again, I would just pay attention to the things that happened and we rewrote about it. Book two is about teamwork and helping people who are stuck on the trail who need help. And book three was inspired by my wife and daughter who both drive pink Jeeps. Women are occasionally looked down upon in the sport. So this pink Jeep gets picked on in the beginning of the story. And then she overcomes and shows the boys what she's made of. So those are the books, DJ's Off-Road Adventures. Nice. Where can people find them? They're on Amazon or at djsoffroadadventures.com. And what's even more fun maybe is following DJ's Offroad Adventures on Facebook or Instagram, because then you can see the actual adventures that we go on, as well as snippets from the books. Nice. Speaking of Facebook and Instagram, can you please share those handles so people can find you? Those are just instagram.com forward slash DJ's Offroad Adventures, no hyphen in the off-road. And I also have an Instagram, just David McBee. You can find me on Facebook at David McBee and LinkedIn at David McBee, or just Google me. I'm an SEO guy, so I'm pretty (laughs) easy to find. Yeah, (laughs) That's great. I really love the life lessons, David, that are in those books. You cannot go wrong instilling those in children at a young age. Yeah. Like I said, I wrote them as a passion project. They cost me more than I've made, but... (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. I love going to schools and reading out loud to the kids and seeing them climb on my Jeep and they want to take (laughs) pictures with my Jeep. So it's really been fun. That's a blessing. David, before we wrap up, please share with the audience, what would you say to your 18 year old self? Whoa, you didn't prepare me for that one. (laughs) I would say all your dreams are going to come true. You're going to marry the girl of your dreams. Your kids are going to be amazing. You're going to have a beautiful career and it's going to be bumpy along the way. You're going to experience bankruptcy and you're going to experience illnesses and you're going to get fired, but it's all going to work out. It's all going to work out. And when you think there's not enough money and you're going to think that a lot, there always will be. You'll always find it. It'll work out. That's probably what I say to my 18-year-old self. 
and enjoy your hair while you have it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I like that. Everything that you just shared, David, are reasons to live, reasons to show up for yourself every day and reasons to keep going. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you for asking. Absolutely. Before we end today, is there anything else that you would like to share with the listeners? Only that you don't know how much time you have left. Whether you have cancer or you don't have cancer, you could get hit by a truck tomorrow. And it's cliche to say live every day like it's your last because you probably wouldn't go to work if that were the case. Live your life like you don't know how much time you've got because you don't know if you've got 100 years or 80 years or 50 years. So make time to do the things that you love and tell the people that you love how you feel about them. Thank you, David. That is a wonderful way to end this episode. Thank you so much for taking time to talk with me today, for sharing your very important story, and for shining and sharing your light. Thank you. Thank you for having a podcast that allows for a platform like this. That is a brilliant thing that you're doing, and I'm grateful for you. Thank you, David. I appreciate you. Before we end today, I would like to give a shout out to the listeners. Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please share, follow, or subscribe so that you can easily find this podcast and listen again. That is it for this Wednesday. And until next time, let's keep navigating cancer together. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Navigating Cancer Together. I hope you found it helpful. Please be sure to subscribe, share, and tell your friends and family about it. For notes from the show and previous episodes, visit ontheotherside.life and check out the podcast section. I would love it if you join me for the next episode. Talk to you soon.